Hello everyone, welcome to Random Encounter 262 or 262, and my name is John O'Logan, and hey, remember a few weeks ago when I said that uh, gaming was in a little bit of a beginning of the year lol? Yeah, so that's <laughs> over. Yeah, yeah, no kidding. Uh, so over the last few weeks, there has been a, a, a an avalanche of gaming news to cover. There's been some major releases that are currently out and some more on the horizon, uh, including two of the games that we're going to be talking about today. Uh, I know that there's a state of play that's coming later this week, so that's we expect much more news from that. Uh, but before we get into the games we're going to be talking about, let's introduce our guest today, RPG Fans Features Manager, Zach Wilkerson. Hello. Welcome, Zach. Were you on the, man, nothing is happening train with me at the beginning of 2023? <laughs> you know, I played Chain Echoes and Hollow Knight back to back at the beginning of the year, so I felt okay. But yes, there wasn't a lot on the news front. Mm-hmm. We're not allowed to talk about Hollow Knight on this podcast, <laughs> unfortunately. <laughs> Look, there there are stats, there are upgrades, there's a good story. Wait, uh, never mind. <laughs> yeah, if we if we if we talk about Hollow Knight, Mike takes away our Mike takes away our uh, our gaming privileges. No JRPGs for you because you broke the rules. For anyone listening, yeah, just play Hollow Knight. Just go play it. it you'll like it. Trust it's me. It's so good. It's so good. Um, are you glad now that the the drought is over and now we are uh, in the uh, the incredible oh my god there's so much to talk about so much to do stage of things i mean sort of but it's less time to play hollow knight so you know that's a good uh, point <laughs> that's a very good point well you just finished spending 80 hours i think uh playing yeah, it was like 85 i think yeah 85 hours uh playing the game that we're about to talk about so uh yeah let's talk about octopath traveler 2 um now for those of you out there who have not heard about Octopath Traveler, welcome to JRPGs. <laughs> um, it's a HD2D game that was released originally for the uh, Nintendo Switch, but now is pretty much available on everything, I think. I know it's available on PC. Is it available on... Not, uh... not PlayStation yet, which is fascinating because I played Octopath Traveler 2 on PS5. That is weird. Yeah. Um, must be some exclusivity deals or something like that. Anyway, uh, gorgeous game was marketed and plays as a bit of a a bit of a retro throwback with a modern sheen on it uh like pixel graphics but with depth and it's gorgeous and beautiful and has it started a revolution in uh in uh jrpg graphics so i played the original a few years ago uh i reviewed it in 2019 for the site i Walked away with mixed feelings. I love the nostalgic feel of it, and I love the graphics, and the especially the soundtrack, and I loved many of the characters. But I did have significant issues with how uh, the characters interacted with each other, uh, how the world exploration was handled, and I also had a problem with uh, the repetitive nature of the storytelling, which was usually arrive in town, find the problem, go to dungeon, beat the boss, return to town, onto the next chapter. And it was just that repeat, repeat, repeat. Um, now, as I understand it, Octopath Traveler 2 fixes some of these issues that I had mm. with it and uh, other things that it leaves alone. But I think some of those things are inherent in Octopath Traveler. So I don't think they're problems to be solved. You just kind of have to accept them about the series. We'll get to that. So, uh, Zach, what do you love about the original Octopath Traveler? Yeah, so it's fascinating. Um, you know what I love most about it is that the review I wrote for it got me hired at RPG Fan. Uh, so uh, it was actually uh, the game that I reviewed when I got hired here. We didn't have a review yet. Um, and, you know, in the original game, I the first time through and I liked it more than I liked the first one more than you did, uh, especially at the time. Um, I, I obviously I loved all the things you talked about. Um, the, the look of it was fascinating. Um, I loved the um, I, I sort of liked the independent storytelling. It worked for me uh, more than most. But I agree with you that I think some of the storytelling 
was repetitive and I thought it was a little bit odd uh, when people just suddenly vanished during cutscenes, mm-hmm. um, and then they showed back up for the fight. Um, so I thought that was kind of weird. But, you know, really what I love about the game more than anything um, is uh, like the constant feeling of progression um, as you explore. Like there's always some chest to discover, some like no se- new secret cave to find. And you can kind of do it in any order. Um, and I really uh, it, it felt controlled enough and like I knew where I was supposed to go. But I also knew that I could kind of like mess around over in this corner for a minute. Um, and it, honestly, the thing I love more than anything is the combat. Mm. Uh, in terms of turn-based combat, I think that uh, the original Octopath at the time um, that it came out, I thought I I can't imagine a combat system that I enjoy more. Um, and it's only been surpassed just very slightly by Octopath Traveler 2. So I love the look. I love the feel. Independent Stories, I thought, was a good idea, even though I thought some of the stories fumbled pretty badly towards the finish line, like uh, Primroses, I thought was really interesting to start, but then it got weak towards the end. Um, mm-hmm. But I, I I really, really loved the first. Yeah, it's uh, despite my issues with it, it's a great game. Like, I think I gave it an 84, um, which is not a bad score, despite what many people online think. 84 <laughs> is a good game that we right. like. <laughs> um, but. I think one of the reasons I was really excited for this sequel, like this is the third, technically it's the third entry in the Octopath Traveler series because they also have Octopath Traveler Champions of the Continent that's on uh, iOS and I think it's on Android as well. And apparently it's an extremely, extremely good uh, mobile game that, you know, features much of what we love about Octopath Traveler, including like the graphics and the style of storytelling and things like that. Hey, I have a question. The characters in this game, the... uh, the eight main characters, do they still fall into the uh, the Octopath acronym with the names they for do. the sequel? They do. They sure okay. do. Absolutely. Well, that, see, that's very important because <laughs> otherwise it doesn't make any sense. <laughs> well, let's talk about the new cast then. So why don't you tell me a little bit about them? So um, it, similar to the first game, you are still following eight characters and maybe, and, and we'll get into this, like all, all eight of them have the same jobs, like base jobs as the original game but all of their stories are really different so like you remember primrose back in octopath one she was like on a you know quest for revenge Mm -hmm. this time agnia the dancer literally just wants to become a star and put a smile on people's faces um, which feels a little bit more like uh, i don't know like tressa's or alfin's from the first game Mm -hmm. Uh, whereas the revenge story this time is the scholar oswald Um, and so you get some of the same tropes within each of the different character stories um, but I think that even from the beginning, um, to some degree, each of the characters has um, a, a, a lot more distinction in terms of the, the, the kind of personalities that they have. Um, and that personality is not given by the most broken, ridiculous, early modern English I've ever heard out of Hanit. Um, <laughs> I was about to ask that. <laughs> yeah, it, 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 we, we have a little bit of that. Like there's Particio and he like is, uh, you know basically like a merchant in a Western town, but mm-hmm. he still feels like a whole person outside of just the accent that he has. Um, mm-hmm. I, I think that um, I, I think that the, the storytelling this time is a lot more varied. There's a lot bigger of a difference between who the characters are. Um, and I think they're really well-written. Um, I think that all of them have something that really distinguishes them as, as opposed to someone like Ulbrich from the first one who, or even Hanna, you know, who are like stories that I thought were okay, but I didn't think that they as individuals really stuck out. I thought some of them did. I thought Tressa was a great individual, right? But Tressa's here, a great character. Alfin is a great character. Um, but a lot of them are tend to be fairly, yeah. you know, 
cardboard. I agree. And I don't think that you could make that accusation of any of the eight characters this time. Um, sure, they, they lean into tropes. Hmm. Um, in some ways, it is <laughs> um, like let's take like eight different sets of JRPG tropes and apply them to these different people to some degree. Um, but I, I think that um, the storytelling within each of them is so much stronger and getting to the idea that you were talking about earlier about like the idea of variation. Um, the, the way the stories are rolled out is really different this time around. So like Ochette, who's like a hunter who has to go like find these three different beasts to help her town, um, like avoid the, the Scarlet Moon Knight or something like that, um, you know, which, you know, again, it sounds JRPG, right? Um, but she has it does three, sound like a JRPG, right? <laughs> she has three different chapter twos and she then only has one chapter three. Um, and, and, you know, she's just going to find these three different beasts, whereas like Throne A is like chasing two different people. She's the thief um, and she's chasing two different people. So she has two chapter twos and two chapter threes. And they're both about those, those different people. But in one of her chapters, she literally just does like this weird version of like, I don't know. I think Russian roulette is maybe the wrong <laughs> application of like a drink with somebody. There's no combat. And so the stories roll out in a really different fashion to get to some of that repetitiveness that you were talking about earlier. And I think that helps sell the characters as well. That's uh, really nice to hear, actually. And I really do like when I was listening to when I first read about Octopath Traveler 2 and I saw what was thing uh, what was being revealed. One of the things that I loved the most about it was that they were keeping all of the character classes of the original with new characters because there are so many kind of different stories you can tell with these archetypes. And mm -hmm. I like the idea that we get to continue to explore the different kinds of people who can fit into the same jobs and the stories that surround them. Uh, I, I like that idea a lot. So I'm really, really excited to uh, like this is a game that is very high on my to playlist. Mm -hmm. um, and at some point, I'll, I'll wait till it goes on sale probably later in the year. Um, but when I get it, I am going to play it because I really did like the original. So I'm really excited to see what else they do with it. It's interesting that you say that because like I um, and we can talk about the jobs in a minute here. But like I, I actually sort of was like. You're just giving us the same eight jobs, like what, what, what like you. And I think that a, a common criticism, if you look online and even in my review, to some degree, is that it's just more of the same. Um, mm. But I, with the jobs, they have different skills. Um, they're not exactly the same. Like a lot of them are similar. Like um, donors' charity is still something for the apothecary to use, for example, mm -hmm. uh, which is a very important skill uh, if you want to do like end game stuff. Um, but they they have enough variation in the skills and the way they interact that I think that it still works. But I. It's interesting to me that you saw that as a positive when originally I was like, well, there's like so many classes in JRPGs. Why not give them some different ones? Um, so, yeah, that's interesting. I don't mind the idea of different classes being RPGs, but the the variety of like cleric, scholar, warrior, uh, thief, like th a lot of these are classic JRPG uh, classes, tropes that and certainly that have followed uh, right. Square Enix, their entire the entire existence of both Squaresoft and uh, Enix and uh I just like that they are doing different things within that uh, playground with these characters. However, let's jump ahead to the job system then, because this game, like the previous one, does have a bit of a job system, but it's a little bit different because it doesn't change their uh, core job. It doesn't change their identity, so to speak. It's a more like almost like secondary jobs, right? Yes, I think it's actually exactly what they're called. Yeah, so it doesn't it doesn't change the characters' set story classes. It just augments them. Um, and, and it, they actually function remarkably similarly to the first one. Uh, the only real difference, uh, the only really two differences in the way the jobs work, outside of the four secret jobs, which I won't describe, but there are they are different this time, although they have some similarities to 
uh, the first games for like sort of, you know, super boss or, or super, super jobs. Mm. Um, but uh, so it, it, with the job system in this game, you can go and get uh, what's called a guild uh, emblem. Um, so you have to go find the guilds out in the world, which is a little different from the first one because you would find a shrine in the first game um, that was sort of hidden somewhere on the map. Uh, but this time you have to How find a decos. guild. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and you have to find a guild and they will give you uh, one of three emblems. And you can actually get up to three and how you earn those emblems changes. So like the first one you get just by like showing up and talking to them. But uh, with some of them, you have to get uh, you have basically max that job out with the job points um, to get the next one. And then you have to max another person out to get the next one. Or with the thief, you have to go steal like specific items oh, I in like order a lot in order to get the second or the third uh, job or job emblem. So you can have three characters with the same job, which was actually useful for me because until I got to the post game and there was someone else I knew who was playing this game under embargo and I'd beaten the game, I could not find the hunter's emblem if my life depended on it. I beat the super boss at the end of the game and I had never found the hunter emblem. Um, but, you know, I, I was able to put another secondary job on someone else. So that was fine. Uh, there are still hidden shrines around the world, though, to get EX skills, which are like um, skills that are specific to that person who has that base job. So, for example, Ikari, who plays Warrior, um, which was the, the protagonist that I used, you can get two EX skills from him. And one of them is hidden in a shrine throughout the world. And that kind of gives a, a little bit of distinction to that person and their base job and it makes them them more useful in their base job than let's say like someone else would be um, using that even as a secondary job. Mm. And so I think that's kind of a cool thing um, to kind of get away from the Final Fantasy VI sameness of, you know, uh, how you sort of build people. Mm -hmm. So um, it, it functions very similarly. You're still using, um, you know, passive skills from different jobs um, and sort of building them together and trying to trying to figure out like, you know, this this job uses these weapons and I want this job to be able to use these weapons together. Um, so you're really thinking about it in almost the same way, even if the skills are slightly different. Um, so if you've played the first one, you will feel very comfortable and cozy with the second one's job system. That's good. A good sequel should build uh, upon in a lot of ways so you know I, I think that it sounds very cozy it sounds like something that i can just step right into and i know how it yeah. works with a few tweaks that i'll discover along the way for sure yeah. um i want to uh i want to ask you about the world in this game uh you say in your review that it is it is uh considerably more interconnected and more fleshed out than the original game so this is an entirely new world right Yes. So, um, gosh, and I can't remember the name. I, I know the game, the name of the game, the world in the first one is Ostera, and this is Solista, I think. Mm -hmm. um, you can correct me if I'm wrong on that. But yeah, so it takes place. Um, so you don't Ostera have to... and Solista both sound like prescription drugs. <laughs> no kidding. That right? help you lose weight. <laughs> Ask if Solera is right for you. <laughs> So you definitely don't need to have played Octopath 1 to play Octopath 2. Perfect. So it's a Final Fantasy style sequel. Yeah. Well, almost. I, I think that there is going to be some connection because like the religions in the two worlds are very similar. Uh, like the gods uh, mm -hmm. are, are very similar. So it's clear that there's some inspiration sort of coming from both. And I, it would not surprise me at all if they revealed some sort of like a multiverse thing eventually. Okay. I have to admit, I like the idea, though, that uh, religion is the Sid of this game. It is. It is. <laughs> religion is the Sid uh, and the jobs. Uh, but, you know, the, the thing that um, I think, because I, I, as I think I said in my review, I booted up Octopath 1 and I looked at the map and I was like, man, this map is so much smaller. And I would walk around some of the areas and I'm like, oh, there's just like 
not as much hidden to do. And one of the things that's really cool about this game, and it's the thing I liked in Octopath 1, but they like, as I said, turn it up to 11 in Octopath 2, is every single area has like all these little hidden areas. They take a lot of advantage of the 3D depth of field where you can't really see behind something. You have to kind of poke around in this area or this area. And there's just like so much in these different areas, so much so that I didn't even find one of the areas because of the hunter class emblem. Mm-hmm. But you know, there are two different continents, and they're connected by water, of course. And you eventually you'll get a ship uh, that you can buy, and you can sort of sail around the world. Uh, maybe even a little bit earlier than you should be able to. Um, you know, mm-hmm. you might get smacked down like I did. A- and they, and even beyond that, um, there is the side quests feel a lot more connected to the main narrative. A lot of times, the side quests will be connected to some of the things that you're actually doing in any given town in a chapter and they'll kind of nice to hear and they'll kind of enhance what you know about it and you'll know more about like this one character because of this other side quest that you're doing over here um when you uh investigate different people and you get like these little paragraphs about them they'll oftentimes tell you that they're from this other town and they're related to this other event that you heard about in this other place and so there's just this really amazing sense of world building that everything feels really interconnected um and to some degree and we can talk about the stories here in a minute the the stories definitely talk to each other uh better than they did in the first game and so i feel like it it just feels like a more fleshed out world than it did in octopath one yeah that's nice to hear about the side quests as well because one of my criticisms about the side quests in octopath was that they a lot of them were just fetch quests they had no Mm -hmm. real connection to the story or fleshed out characters now i don't know how good the side quests are in this but the fact that they're more tied into the story or at least they're telling you something about your characters that's a step in the right direction yeah i mean they and it's one of the criticisms i leveled against the game i think to some degree a lot of times they still are kind of fetch questy Uh, but even within the fetch questiness of it like when you're talking to the people after you go fetch the thing that they wanted or you know go hire the person and bring them along that they wanted you're still getting better stories within it and you're still finding out more about the world as you do it okay and you know so it it didn't bother me so much but you know i played this game before there were any guides out there right so like Mm. i didn't have anybody telling me that i had to go literally go to the other side of the world to go find this other thing which is something i would look up in real life because i don't have patience for that Uh, yeah that's um, something that that's something i think that a lot of people um who read the reviews one of the frustrating things about being a reviewer and getting an advanced copy yeah you're like yeah this is amazing but there's it's just you there's no that you can't talk to anyone else about right. it because you're under embargo you can't exactly you can't ask the internet where where do you right. think this thing will be so a lot of times you just will miss content that is sometimes literally right in front of your nose yeah and, and it turns out that hunter's guild uh emblem was right in front of my nose yeah I, uh, in a game that I'm about to, I'm going to be talking about in a few minutes, I completely missed the, uh, battle arena. I just, I walked by it repeatedly. (laughs) I I just didn't know where it was. And I just walked by it repeatedly. And eventually I was like, oh yeah, this is a remake of an old game. What am I doing? Uh, and then I, I checked, uh, I checked, where is this thing? And I was like standing in front of it. (laughs) Dumb. Anyway, It, it was better in this game than it was in like something like, I don't know, robotics notes, which is a VN that has all these really obscure uh, event triggers that like I had to go through. I played that game for 75 hours when it should have taken me 30 probably, but I was like, I will finish this game. (laughs) Um, so it wasn't as bad here, even the and I will just spoil it, the souped up final boss. If you've beaten the one in the first game, you understand the same strategies you need for the second game. Um, so 
there wasn't anything that prevented me from progressing, but there were definitely times when I was like, there's content I want to access and I don't know how to do it because I don't have a guide. <laughs> uh, honestly, you saying that there's a, uh, there's a super boss at the end of this game is the, it's the first thing you've said thus far that made me go, oh, maybe I don't want to play this. Oh, you, you can do it. You can do it. I, I can help you. I, I, I have a build all laid out. <laughs> I did. I beat all of Octopath Traveler except for that last boss. And the reason why I could not beat that last boss is apparently something that's also quote unquote wrong with this game, which is I had underleveled characters. Um, so like half of my party was fantastic. Half of my party could have handled them, but the other half of my party just got decimated. And I would have had to have spent hours and hours and hours uh, grinding to level them up to even remotely yeah. where they were. So that last boss was just, it was out of my reach. Not not to spoil anything, and I think this goes up, what, on the 24th? So I should be, should be okay no, we're good. Um, not, not to spoil anything, but um, that is fixed slightly in the final boss here. Okay, that's exciting. You still use two parties, but... Um, you don't necessarily have to use one party for longer than a couple of turns. So, and that's kind of what I did. I had like a main party and I had a secondary party and I, I flipped things back and forth constantly because you're right. You you don't gain job points or experience for characters who are not in your party. No shared experience um, pool. Yeah. Which is definitely frustrating. But like I, I guess from playing the first game, I knew that already. So I was flipping people in and out constantly, which is annoying in its own way because I always want the best gear on each given party and there's no way to save builds. Mm -hmm. So you're constantly having to flip inventory in and out, which is pretty annoying. So inventory management's also a problem. It is as much of a nightmare as it was in the first game. Yes. That's frustrating. Yeah. Um, Because my experience with, with it was I entered the, I'll keep it vague just in case someone, anyone hasn't played the first game, but uh, like I went through the big door and then there were some bosses on pedestals and I just like, I beat all of them and there were some challenging fights there, but like nothing out of my range, but like I, you know, I handled them. So I fully expected to be able to beat the last boss uh, and then couldn't. And I found that to be really frustrating at the time. I think it's definitely a little more doable this time um, mm. because of the way they do it. Um, but it's... It's still just as challenging. They just give you a little more flexibility in how you approach it. Let's put it that way. Okay. Um, in terms of the world, how does I'm, I'm curious. You do say there's a lot of lore in this game and a lot of lore of uh, building up the world. How is that lore dolled out? Is it in dialogue? Are there like libraries? It's in a variety of different ways. Um, honestly, it's everywhere. Um, sometimes it's when you investigate different NPCs. A lot of times it's baked into the individual stories because I will say, um, not to get too deep into the weeds, but the different individual stories, it is much more clear um, that the individual stories are all related to a specific and individual problem. Um, and a specific individual thing than it was in the first game. That turned out to be true in the first game if you did the semi-optional final mm -hmm. stuff that you're talking about. But here, you can see little bits and seeds of it kind of throughout the game. And so they do a better job of uh, sort of showing you the connection between things. But in terms of the lore of the world and just how like like this person's relationship on this one continent is over here. It just happens from talking to people. Um, and if you want to clear side quests without a guide, um, you pretty much need to talk to everybody and steal from everybody and investigate <laughs> every single person at every single time of day and night. So um, I ended up really talking to a lot of those people. Okay. So how do the chapters work in this game? Same as the original, I would imagine. So you, you pick your main protagonist off the top, you yes. play through their chapter, and then you're stuck with them until they're, game is com until their story is complete that's still true which is unfortunate mm -hmm. um, as much as i love hikari he was leveled about 15 levels above everybody else by the time mm -hmm. um, i got to the final chapter but yes uh, otherwise it's it's basically the same 
there'll be a marker on the map that'll tell you the recommended level and also the chapter you're in um, for that person. Um, but again, it, it kind of is doled out a little bit differently this time because you like some characters have a chapter five, whereas some characters only have a chapter three. And so like the pacing of the storytelling kind of adjusts and changes between them. Mm-hmm. And so I think that it works better because of that. But essentially, you always have these markers on the map that will tell you where to go, what you need to do um, in order to advance any individual story. Um, they don't really mark anything else on the map, but they do mark that. So Okay. And then in the final chapter of the game, things come together a little bit more. They do. Uh, the final chapter is honestly a delight. Um, it I won't say really anything about the story outside of the fact that it, literally the very first scene in the final chapter is all eight of your characters hanging around a campfire and them talking. Oh, that's nice. Um, and it's like, it's actually like the key art. Um, you basically get a shot of that, right. Um, mm. That you've seen all over. Um, and so, and you get to see like how these characters interact and how they're, what their interplay is like. And you're like, Oh my gosh, I would have loved to have seen more of this um, because it's so fantastic. Like they have these eight great characters, let them talk to each other. Uh, but you know, I, I will say that like is as, as amazing as that is uh, they do, they do good work in like, doing some of that elsewhere. Like I, I mentioned this in the review, but like there are, these crossed paths chapters. It's basically like you have two chapters of each. Um, so, and I actually can't remember. I know Temenos and Thrones is together. And so after you clear both of their chapter ones, I believe you'll get a crossed path thing that will open up. And then after you clear both of their two, both of their stories, like all of the, then you'll get like their final crossed paths, mm. which turn out to also be involved in the building of the lore of the world. But you also get to, you know, watch like this, you know, thief throne whose life has been absolute garbage um interact with this uh like doubtful priest um and so like though the cross paths sections are really good because of that but man it's that final chapter where you get to see them all talk and all be in the same cutscenes together uh it's thrilling almost like in some ways i feel like them holding it away from us makes that more thrilling which is kind of cool but Mm -hmm. it it just i think the game would be stronger if there was just a little bit more interaction yeah i imagine like i said that's one of the things that drove me crazy about the first game uh, the classic, you know, there's your your other the, your other party members vanish unless you're in a fight, mm-hmm. uh, which seems like it's a problem here too. Except for uh, you know cross chapters like those, or I would imagine there are also some similar uh, like a uh, character party moments where you can press a button and they interact with yeah. each other. Yeah, if you press start, they'll have interactions, and you you still you have a lot more of those, and they actually talk about the events that are happening right in front of them okay. a lot more than they did in the first game. But it's still like when you're having interactions with like I don't know, like let's say like the boss, um, they will still act like it's just you standing there. Um, you'll still act like it's just you standing there. So it's weird. I, I think that's just one of the things that it was a criticism of the first game. It's clearly in this one too. If there's an Octopath Traveler 3, they may evolve it again, but I would have an odd feeling that it will be a feature of that too. It's a very, it's a non-linear game. And right. in order to do those kind of character interactions, at least not without being having to write literally hundreds of thousands of permutations character interactions are going to be limited that's just the nature of the beast yeah and i think that it works okay because i I guess i have less of a problem with it because it makes the stories even like if you sort of take your logic and throw it in the garbage (laughs) um it makes the stories a lot more personal like i I Mm. feel like if it's just like a party of people and they're all like you have like seven different people shouting at the boss along with you it feels less personal and so i always feel like one of the things that octopath one did pretty well and i think this game does very well is that it makes these stories feel like they are like your individual problem um but again it also kind of is it cross purposes with 
the fact that you're traveling with seven other people. Um, but I do think that it, it it allows the stories to feel more distinct than they would in an average JRPG. Mm. Um, and so I think that that is an advantage to some degree, but I feel like there are still, I don't know what the answer is um, because the, you, technically you could solo this game, right? Like you just do one person's chapters and go all the way through the game and you don't ever have to talk to anybody else. Um, but, and that's the reason why that exists to some degree. So I don't know what the answer is. Maybe make you do everyone's chapter ones or something. I don't know, but yeah, I, it doesn't bother me really, but I understand that it's frustrating for some. Well, uh, another thing, I guess that differentiates the various characters from each other are their path actions, which are returning from the previous game. Uh, each character can, has a, a unique ability. Like, uh, they could ask, they could get someone to join them in their in their fight, or they can steal from them or from someone, or they can sell something to them, or they can buy something from them. Uh, and path actions are here too, but there's a different twist on it because there's also a day and night cycle, and right. it affects more than just the game's aesthetics, where there's a day and a night. It also impacts their character actions. So, how exactly does that work in the game? So it's really cool. Um, so I. I I think I mentioned this in the review, but like it, it's it's surprisingly impactful to be able to see like the different things at, in the day and the night and just like how different they look and how cool it is to be running around like in a field with like a little lantern and how beautiful it looks. Mm. Uh, but outside of that, you're right. Uh, so you have different path actions uh, for the day and for the night. So, for example, Throne the Thief um, during the day, she can still steal um, from people and the percentage is based on, you know, whatever your level is, how likely you are to actually commit the steal effectively. Uh, but at night, she can ambush sick people, which basically just means that, like, if you're at a high enough, high enough level, you can just, like, knock someone out. And they still have people standing in front of doors constantly in this game. Mm-hmm. So if you, you know, don't feel like getting in a duel with Hikari, which you can do uh, during the day, you can just go up to them at night and ambush them with Throne and they're just knocked out and it's over. So it and also like the NPCs that, that appear in towns uh, or even like out in the field sometimes will change from day to night. So you really like the every time I got to a town, this is part of the reason this game take me, takes me so long to play. Every time I got to a town, I would basically put my like day party together where like, you know, I could have Oswald in there who can scrutinize it during the day and Throne who can steal during the day and Hikari who can duel during the day. And I would just go talk to every single available NPC. And then I would do the exact same thing. I would change it tonight. And it's really easy to change from day to night. It's just like the click of a button. Mm-hmm. I would click the button and then I would change my party out and go do the exact same thing again. Do um, path after dark. Yeah, it's pretty time consuming, uh, which, you know, uh, when I was trying to play it quickly was, you know, maybe not my favorite thing. But like it, it you don't have to do that. Like, I was just a thing that I chose to do. But yeah, it, it it just gives a little bit more variety again in the way that the game plays and the way that you experience the world. And you get a different you get different music for the day and the night, which as a Xenoblade fan, I am a sucker for day night themes. Mm-hmm. And so that was lovely. Uh, they're always just like kind of slowed down a little bit now, you know, more, more minor key. And so. I, I, but more than anything, honestly, like just the way the game looks at night, fantastic, fantastic. I have an odd feeling that some of those songs are probably going to appear on uh, oh. uh, Rhythm Encounter in the future. I mean, I, I, I might bring some on myself. The boss theme, whoo! Yeah, you link to a so copy good. in the in the review, and it's just holy crap! It's <laughs> it <good>. is a banger. <laughs> it's a banger. Um, well, the day and night, obviously different graphics for both, and I imagine that, uh towns and areas are beautiful in different ways depending on what the the time of day um i would argue that for octopath traveler the thing that catches most people's attention right off the bat is the graphics uh this is the fifth official hd 2d game i think 
So there's Octopath, there is Triangle Strategy, there is uh, Octopath, Champions of the Continent, there's uh, Live Alive, and now there's this. Mm -hmm. Um, How have the game's graphics evolved since the first game back in 2018, where we never saw anything like that? It was like a 16-bit game come to life. It's unbelievably better. Um, Because I didn't play Live Alive, but my fiancé did. I got to watch her play it, and I thought, oh my gosh, this game looks so much better than Octopath. And then I played Triangle Strategy, which played with that idea of a dynamic camera a lot, Mm. um, because it had to, because it's a strategy game. And then you see all the different things they have done in Live Alive, which I thought was a lot more vibrant than other uh, HD2D games, and Triangle Strategy, which has a way better dynamic camera, and they play around with both of those things amazingly. Like The dynamic camera makes a lot more of a difference than people probably think. Um, I guess if you played the demo, you know this already, but it, it like it happens in battle where it'll turn during certain things. Like when you've boosted your attacks all the way, uh, it'll actually change the camera angle while the attack goes off, which is incredibly cool. This game looks so much better than Octopath Traveler that it's actually unbelievable. Like I, I turned on Octopath Traveler again, like I said, right after I finished this and I was like, everything's so blurry. There's just so much more detail. It's so much more vibrant. Mm -hmm. It's so much more colorful. It is a stunning game. I'm sure part of that is like I'm playing on a nicer TV and also I'm playing on my PS5 instead of my Switch. Um, So I had no load times, which I've heard the switch struggles with load times on this game, but um, I think you could just shorten to that saying the switch struggles. The switch with load struggles. Time. Yeah, no kidding, right? You can, um, you're right. You could <laughs> even bring it back more to just the switch struggles. <laughs> yeah, that's 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 why I asked for the PS5 copy, and I was very happy that I got it. Um, but yeah, it it looks it looks so much better than Octopath Traveler that it's it's actually it was actually hard for me to go back to it and even look at it because of how much worse it looked. And I remember how much I love the look of Octopath Traveler 1 at the time. And it's mm-hmm. really strange for me to say, but it's true. No, it's it's, it's absolutely gorgeous. Um, well, exploring the world and the beauty of the world is only one of the things that uh, you do in a JRPG, where combat is another important thing. So let's talk mm. about the combat in Octopath Traveler 2. First off, just how is it? If you've played Octopath Traveler 1, it plays like that. <laughs> um, it's basically the same. Um, it, it is remarkably similar. So you, it is a turn-based thing where you can see the current turn and you can see the next turn in terms of the turn order and how that's going to function. You have a BP gauge where you start out with one and like when you burn BP, it allows you to have more powerful attacks or make your buffs last longer or whatever. And uh, the enemies have different weaknesses that you reveal by hitting them. So, you know, a, a, an enemy might be weak to a sword attack, a bow attack, and light damage. Mm -hmm. And the more times you hit those weaknesses, it lowers their shield meter until they're weakened, they can't act, and then you can do more damage. And basically the key to it is build up your BP to when they're weakened, and then just fire everything when they're weakened um, and just smack them with it. Mm -hmm. Um, And and you're, you know, adjusting, you know, buffs, debuffs. Um, The only two things that are really different And I actually think that some of these things make the game a little bit easier than the first one. Um, First of all, the game, the battles can be speed up, sped up to two times, which literally in my very first battle, I hit, I press start to speed it up to two times and I never changed it. Never even Mm -hmm. considered changing it back because I just want them to go faster. It's one of my favorite features in uh, JRPG. Yeah. I mean, I can't even imagine playing Final Fantasy 12 without the battles being sped up. (laughs) Um, And you also have a thing called latent powers, which is essentially a limit break. Every time you break an enemy or you get or you take damage, you build up your latent power gauge. And depending on the uh, character 
it depends. It changes sort of what that gauge does. So with Ikari, it, it opens you up to additional attacks, um, some of which are very powerful. Uh, with someone like Agnia, it allows you to take a buff that is usually for one person and spread it out to the whole party, which is very useful. Um, and Particio, uh, when you get his built up, you can uh, fill up your BP gauge immediately, which when you get to some end game stuff and you're worried about spreading out buffs and everything worrying, working correctly, Particio is key, the same way Tressa was in the first game. That's all I'll say about the secret. <laughs> so it, it gives a little bit of variety, but it also gives you more options in combat, right? Like you have mm-hmm. more things you can do. Uh, the EX skills are a nice little bonus too. But honestly, like despite like the minor adjustments, if you've played Octopath 1, you've played Octopath 2 in terms of combat. It functions almost exactly the same, which for me, A+. Um, I, I didn't want them to change it because it was already amazing. I have to admit that one of the things, I mean, we were talking, I guess this combines the graphics and the uh, the combat. One of the things I adored about the first game was just the incredibly, incredibly beautiful pixel art uh, for the enemy sprites, especially. Yeah. How's the pixel art in this oh, for them? <laughs> it's still phenomenal. Still phenomenal. Um, yeah, I mean, like uh, those those giant boss sprites. I mean, like it's like, I feel like I'm playing Lufia 2 all over again. I, I and I, if you know me, you love, I know, you know, I love Lufia too. And the <laughs> boss music is almost as good too. Um, yeah, it's it, it, every, every boss fight feels so epic because of it. And because of the puzzly nature of every fight and just kind of figuring out the weaknesses and figuring out sort of what order to do things in and how to set things up correctly. Uh, and like the fact that you can be under leveled, but if you have the right build and the right equipment and you approach it the right way, you can do it. And a little bit of luck. Chef's kiss. Uh, yeah, and that's true too. Final boss. I had the exact same build the last three times and I was just like, I just need the turn order to come out differently this next time and I'll be fine. <laughs> and I did. <laughs> uh, the music in this game from what I've heard, from what I've heard is as good as the original and the original had some insanely good music. One of my favorite gaming albums of all time is, uh, Octopath Traveler, uh, Break Boost and Beyond. It's oh, so it's Break so, Boost is incredible. Yeah, oh, it's so amazing. Um, it's a remarkable album. So I can obviously tell based on what you said, but I'll just ask you again: Does Octopath Traveler two live up to that standard? Yes. <laughs> um, it's it's just as good, if not maybe a tiny bit better, because there's yeah. a little bit more variety. Um, you can sort of feel uh, Nishiki is the composer, I think. Right. Um, you can you can feel him sort of. Um, so like, like feeling his oats a little bit like he's like, all right, I've already made it soundtrack and it has all these beautiful swelling orchestral arrangements and all these different things. Now I'm going to branch out a little bit. I'm going to play around with I'm not kidding. Um, and I think the, the the theme is available online right now. Particio's theme really feels like a Western theme mixed with a, like a 1980s sitcom. And it's delightful. But he also just goes so hard on the boss battle music and the day night system, as I talked about earlier. Um, gives you like just a lot more variety in the kinds of tracks that you're hearing. Because mm-hmm. even in the first one, sometimes I felt like as I was walking around the the map, I was like, all right, I've heard this track a lot. It's beautiful, but I've heard it before. Here, because of the day and night, and because there's just more variety, I don't know how many discs the album's going to be. Uh, Alana's ordered it, so I don't have to. But um, <laughs> I, I, it's got to be a lot more. And it was four discs, I think, with the last one. I'm guessing this will be five or six. And it's there's just so much variety, um, and it's so... It's so good. Yeah, uh, I also think that there are going to be some exciting remix albums that probably come out of this oh, as for well. Sure. Like, I mean, the last one had the I, I have the 16 bit album on my uh, on my shelf. Uh, Break boost, obviously. I mean, I could based on what you just said, I can imagine like a real remix album that's focusing on the day and night cycles. Mm-hmm. 
That would be really interesting. I like that idea. Yeah. So there's there's a lot of potential here, I think, for some really, really great music over the next couple of years. And of course, just the soundtrack, which is nice because I could use, I could, I would be happy to throw a few extra tracks into my, uh, into my iTunes time to work uh, playlist. <laughs> I understand. <laughs> Same here. Well, we talked a little bit about the things that drove you just a, a little bit crazy about this game. Like I, there was nothing obvious. You gave the game a 91. You loved this game. Um, I did. And there were a few things that, you know, bugged you. Inventory management, for example, flipping people in and out of the party. Uh, the not a, there, there being no shared experience pool. Mm-hmm. Um, but it does, it does seem like they've really fixed many of the issues that you had with the first game. So my question is, where do you think the Octopath Traveler series could go from here? Like, where would you like, to, what would you like to see in future titles? So Octopath Traveler 3 comes out. What would you like to see them tweak and fix? And uh make you look back at Octopath Traveler 2 and go, oh, this is still great, but it's just not as good? That's a good question. Um, So I think that, honestly, the most obvious thing to me is like the ability to switch parties, not just at taverns. Um, That is an incredibly archaic thing to me, and I have mm-hmm. no idea why that's the case. Uh, I, I understand a lot of other design decisions in this game. That is not one that I understand. So that one frustrates me. I guess maybe like the travel banter wouldn't make sense if you switch someone out and they hadn't been there 30 seconds ago. But mm-hmm. to me, I... Uh, I don't care about that. It, it is so annoying because like when you go to the town, like the, the taverns in different spots every time. So I, I sometimes it would take me like two minutes to find it. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was annoying. But honestly, I think it will be I think the thing that was most successful about what they changed was the improvement in the writing. Uh, they didn't just kind of phone in JRPG tropes this time to some degree. I thought I think they really did it with the first one, but I think they did a better job here. And I also think that they will make the stories more interconnected. I don't think we were ever going to lose the individuals experiencing individual stories. And I think that's a good thing. Mm -hmm. Um, It's very live alive, Uh, like watching someone play live alive, like, oh my gosh, like live alive was clearly the main inspiration for Octopath Traveler. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't think they're ever going to change that, but I do think that maybe having more crossed paths type of thing, maybe more just like cross paths scenes within stuff um, where people just like happen to uh, be talking through it um, is going to work better and making the connection more obvious and maybe even like between chapters, just having like, honestly, if they just added a campfire scene, like maybe six or seven times throughout the game, mm-hmm. I think that would help enormously to make you feel connected to these characters and feel these characters connections. But I think that one of the things that I learned about this game um, and it, and, and when I read the, wrote the preview and early on, it was sort of something that I was frustrated about, but I, I, I don't think that anymore is that they're not going to change much. Octopath Traveler is what Octopath Traveler is. Mm. And I think that they're going to kind of just iterate slightly. And I'm okay with that. Um, And I think that even just changing some of those small things, like allowing you to change your party at at will, which for the record, you can do in the final chapter. They just let you do it. (laughs) um, Would help a lot in making some of the interpersonal relationships between the characters a lot more obvious mm. i think is are the two big things because it was so like when they do it in this game it's so successful and i think that every review you read says the exact same thing so i think that that's something that they'll probably lean into a little bit more maybe in the next game they might just from what you've told me and the strengths of this game i i agree with you 100 i don't think they should eliminate the individual stories i think that's one of the strengths of the series um Maybe they could, I don't know, shorten each one by a chapter and maybe instead of there being a final chapter being uh, four or five final chapters, 
Which, that would make it more Dragon Quest IV for sure. Yeah, yeah, a little bit more Dragon Quest IV. So like you yeah. get to know these characters by themselves, and then you get to see how these characters interact over time. Mm-hmm. And I, I could see that because they're really even within the final chapter, there isn't outside of like those campfire scenes. It's not like even during the cutscenes, people are really talking a lot. Mm-hmm. They're all just like saying things to the boss, <laughs> um, yeah. and they're not really talking to each other. Um, and I, I agree with you. I think that would help. Um, even just extending it out a little bit more and maybe shortening them to three or four chapters instead of four or five, like they did in this game for the most part. Mm-hmm. I liked, I had to work hard to get away from my expectations of Octopath Traveler when I first played it, because I think like most people back in 2018, when I saw this, my first thought was Final Fantasy VI. Like I looked at it and said, this is, this, this looks amazing. It looks like Final Fantasy VI looked when I was a kid, or I thought it looked right. when I was a kid. So yeah. I think a lot of our <laughs> expectations were about that. And then we played it and then it was like, oh, this is more saga inspired. I'm not using that as a derogatory term, <laughs> um, but it was a lot more saga inspired than Final Fantasy inspired, mm-hmm. uh, especially in terms of the storytelling and the the separation and the world exploration and that kind of thing. Um, and at this point, I think we've moved past that i don't think we're expecting final fantasy 6 anymore i think that when we sit down to play an octopath traveler game we're expecting to sit down and play an octopath traveler game mm-hmm. so it has created its own thing at this point that's true it has so if octopath traveler 3 if octopath traveler 3 <laughs> when octopath traveler <laughs> yeah. 3 comes out in i don't know when is this 2026 yeah which doesn't probably. even sound like a real year <laughs> i was gonna say 2027 seems more likely to me but yeah <laughs> they'll they'll they might do something else. I mean, you know, Square Enix, they like pumping out uh, pumping out beautiful, stunning mobile games that they put lots of money and effort into and then cancel them after a year. So It is the one of like two mobile games that I've been very, very, very tempted by. The other one being near. Um, but I, I still mm-hmm. can't pull the trigger. I hate playing games on my phone. Can't stand it. Mm-hmm. I look at my phone enough during the day. I don't need to look at it more. <laughs> oh, what you need is an iPad. <laughs> That's fair. Maybe. Yeah. Wait, you have a Mac, don't you? It's true. You should be able to download. Well, you should be able to download uh, iOS apps on your Mac, I think. Really? Oh, I, well, I that's tempting. So. Maybe you shouldn't have told me that. <laughs> One second. I might sound like a complete idiot here. Can you play iOS games on your Mac? Can you play your iOS games on your on your Apple Watch? No, I'm afraid not. Um, oh, no, never mind. You can't. Well, maybe you can. You, it needs to, you need to be able to run. Uh, it needs to be running Apple Silicon, so M1 or M2. I my I have the last Intel processor, so. <laughs> ah, but then again, you can also you can also install Windows on it, so it's a trade off. That's true. It's a trade off. Well, thank you very much for talking about Octopath Traveler two because this is a game I think that everyone has been eagerly awaiting uh, since it was announced not that long ago. Right. Um, and I love I just love when games are announced and then they come out a few months later. It's so mm. great when you don't have to wait like four years for it i mean we're not talking about any hollow knight games right now (laughs) no no we're not there's that's a that's a painful topic for anyone well you're a new you're a new hollow knight fan so you're like boy i sure can't wait till the sequel us old older hollow knight fans are like oh go to hell you (laughs) wait for six years (laughs) um well speaking of sequels and uh entries that we have been waiting literally decades for uh yakuza has a new game don't act like you have to wait a lot for a new yakuza game all right (laughs) no no no. you don't have to wait a lot for a new yakuza game however you did have to wait a while for this one um so yakuza has gathered a lot of popularity in the last few years uh, certainly at this podcast um but since yakuza zero came out the series has steadily been gaining more and more fans and more and more uh uh popularity here in the west it's always been popular in japan and that means that there are some titles 
it, that were released in Japan that were never released here in uh, the West. Uh, for example, there were uh, two PSP games uh, called Black Panthers, which were uh, Yakuza games. They were never released here. Uh, and there, there was a uh, there's an online uh, there's an online Yakuza game, which is a, a card based mechanic game. It, it, it's weird. Um, but there were two full fledged Yakuza games that were never released in the West: uh, Ryu Gakotaku Kazan and Ryu Gakotaku Ishin. And both games are samurai games and very intriguing. Everyone, I think anyone who see these, who saw these games and saw screenshots of them were super intrigued by them because it looked like they featured the characters that we love, like Kiryu, Majima. But what they did instead is they would take these characters and the voice actors and their general characterization, and they would cast them in historical roles, uh, historical analogs in these periods. So Kazan uh, took place hundreds and hundreds of years ago. Ashin took place uh, in the very late 19th century, just after Perry opened up uh, Japan. Uh, so I guess that they didn't think that we wanted these games or that they wouldn't sell very well. So one came out just just before Yakuza 3, and the other came out uh, just before Yakuza 0 in 2014. So this is Ashin, came out in 2014. And for years, we, we only saw images of this, and there was a fan translation effort, but we never thought we would get this. And then we got it. Uh, it was announced a few months ago, if anyone recalls. I think it was the podcast that I did in my car. Uh, and I was so excited about the, this news where we got all of this Yakuza news, and they announced the changeover from the Yakuza branding to the Like a Dragon branding. So it was announced that we're getting Like a Dragon Machine here in the West. And it was going to do some interesting things. It was the first uh, Like a Dragon Yakuza game that was going to be uh, built on Unreal and Unreal Engine instead of their proprietary Dragon Engine. Uh, and it was going to get a brand new translation. And this was not just going to be a port. It was not just going to be a remaster. It was going to be a remake. And they were going to be replacing some of the older character models of some of the older characters in the Yakuza games before Zero with uh, newer character models from games ranging after Yakuza 0 all the way up to Like a Dragon. So this game finally came out in the West. We have been waiting for years. And the question that I think everyone's been wanting to ask is, is it worth it? Was it worth the wait? And I think it absolutely 100% was worth the wait. I had such a good time with this game. I was thrilled to death that I finally got to play it. And I got to play a Yakuza game. And that's always something that I celebrate. So uh, this game is a piece of historical fiction. So it is based on something that actually happened, but it's, it's you know, the, the characterization and events are, are very changed around. Uh, so it's the late 19th century and Sakamoto Ryoma uh, and his mentor, who is also his father figure, are fighting to reform Japan's rigid class system and restore the emperor to power. Uh, Ryoma is framed for his uh, adoptive father figure's murder, and he has to go into hiding. So he adopts the new identity of Saito Hajima uh, to uncover the real killer, and he finds himself falling in uh, to some political, uh, a very deep political game that he has no interest in because he just wants to find the truth and get revenge. So the cool thing about this game, and the thing I liked more than anything else about it is it's a Yakuza game and you're playing through playing these characters that you love with new face with new uh, you're playing these characters that you love with new uh, names, but they don't know each other yet. So there's no continuity with uh, any of the other games. So you don't need to worry about uh, six to seven games of, you know, these characters getting to know each other. So every character relationship is refreshed. And that's awesome because all of a sudden opens the door to uh, betrayals that would never happen in the actual games or deaths or, uh, or or friendships or partnerships that just wouldn't really work. 
and it really felt fresh. Like the story felt fresh because of that. Um, cool. Yeah, it's really, really cool. Now, Zach, how many Yakuza games have you played? I know you've played quite a few. Um, so I have played Judgment. I have played Lost Judgment. I have beaten uh, Like a Dragon. So Yakuza 7 or Like a Dragon 7 or whatever mm-hmm. <laughs> we're calling it now. And I've played 15 to 20 hours of Zero and I liked it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, just, you know, life happened and RPG fan things happened. But yeah, I mean, I, I, I have an interest in the series and I like it a lot. And I think it's fascinating you say that because with a game with so much continuity, and so like a series where we're talking like, you know, seven games, main main story, even though, you know, seven obviously goes in a slightly different direction or mm. I guess yeah, it's actually seven if you include zero. Right. Um, yeah. It, it's interesting that you kind of get those ideas of how Majima doesn't have to be consistent, especially because he's Majima, right, mm-hmm. uh, with who he's been previously. And so I think that would be fascinating, especially for a fan of the series. It is. And not just because of that, because of the reset of character relationships. Uh, it's a, I think this is a really, really good jumping on point for people who don't have any familiarity with the series and who are daunted by it, but they also want to get into it because this is very much a Yakuza game. It has like dozens upon dozens of sub stories, uh, ridiculous numbers of mini games and alternate gameplay modes. And, uh, yeah, the critical path is happening and yeah, a character who you love is going to be in danger and is about to be murdered, but you have to go sing some karaoke first. Uh, and that's the brilliance of Yakuza. Uh, this game specifically, if anyone listening loves Yakuza 0, this game technically came out a year before Yakuza 0, and it feels like it in the sense that it doesn't feel dated, but it feels like a prototype for the gameplay and the style of storytelling that eventually becomes Yakuza 0. It feels like a prototype of Yakuza 0, and that's a good thing if you love Yakuza 0, and I, I happen to love Yakuza 0, so you know, that's good. There is one problem that comes with that in this particular game, and that is the graphics. Now, uh, I was I was looking at the comments under my review on Facebook, which you should never do. Um, ever. You should never that do that. That is it's very dumb. true. Is dumb. <laughs> um, is dumb. You know what's some- the worst thing to do is look at comments on your fiance's work on another website, and then you almost get in fights. <laughs> that, that's a horrible, that's a horrible idea, Zach. Never do that. I've almost said it like 10 times. It's fine. Continue. I'm sorry. (laughs) (laughs) No, but uh, someone, someone made uh, a good point. If they hadn't read the review, they just read like the, the card, which was, I complain a little bit about the graphics in the review and they say graphics shouldn't matter. If the gameplay is good, graphics don't matter. It matters. And I'm like, well, first off, no, (laughs) it it does. But second off, my, my criticism of the graphics is very specific. And that is in this game, they import I think they had to. I think they imported uh, all of the assets from the original game into Unreal um, because it does not look, for the most part, like a modern, like a dragon game. It does not look like Yakuza like a dragon or either of the Judgment games. It looks like Yakuza 0 from the textures to certainly the character models and the facial, the face, the face meshes of the characters uh, are very, very static. Like the bottom half moves, but the top half barely does. So the eyes and forehead just kind of they're kind of stuck there and when it's not in a cutscene. Um, and that's fine because, you know, it's Yakuza. It's a little bit dated and you don't even notice it after a while. Except to make the game more modern, to f- update it, they took many of the character models of some of the older characters from the older Yakuza games who people might not be familiar with. And they put in new character models from uh, Like a Dragon and Yakuza 6 and it, the games from the Dragon Engine. And this creates a really weird 
graphics juxtaposition where some characters look like they're from Yakuza 0 and some characters look like they're from Like a Dragon. Uh, and it's weird. It's really weird. Um, it's, I don't want to say, immersion breaking is not quite the right word, but it's irritating to me that they will have a close-up on one character's face as they're talking and you're like, oh, right, that's a character. And then they'll do a close-up on the other character's face. And clearly the texture of their skin is much rougher and much lower resolution. And you're like, that's that's jarring. I mean, it's the same thing that, um, same problem they have with like a lot of the Final Fantasy ports, right? Um, mm. It's the reason they're modded. And it's distracting to me. Like I've played through seven and nine and their ports and like the character models. I'm like, oh, they look so sharp. And like, oh, these backgrounds look so blurry. So it's not to address your Facebook commenter. It's not about like, oh, it needs to look amazing. It's like, it needs to not distract me. And it's distracting. Yeah, it's graphics are about, for me, I agree I agree in theory with that gentleman that graphics shouldn't matter in the sense that if if it sticks to a specific style, if it, like if a game picks a style and it, it it holds to that style, if the design of the game really embraces it and looks like it, then yeah, like Octopath Traveler, uh, for example, um, obviously it ha- it picked a very very specific graphic style. It picked pixel art. It expanded it. It gave it depth but it still looks kind of like a 16-bit game it uses pixel art and if someone doesn't like pixel art they might say oh this looks ugly we know better uh it looks gorgeous but it's consistent and inconsistent graphic quality really does break immersion and breaks the feel of the game you saw that with final fantasy 7 remake where the game looked amazing but you would see incredibly low quality <laughs> the textures door. The, the classic door problem <laughs> and i know the doors become a bit of a meme at this point but it's, it's true where the quality the quality of the texture made you go wait a sec what and it just kind of broke you out of it a little bit um now mind you this is pretty much my only real criticism about about like a dragon machine um there is so much to like here uh there are so many easter eggs that old fans will uh will catch and they'll see and and just lines and character relationships and it's you'll laugh like crazy just because a character will say something and you're like, haha, that's a reference I remember from the fourth game um, that current fans won't really newer fans won't really get, but that's okay. Um, the combat system in this game is super, super fun. Uh, again, it falls back on the Yakuza uh, zero style where unlike, uh, unlike six and, uh, uh, and no judgment has multiple styles of combat. Oh, okay. Um, in the first one, it only had two. In the second one, it had three. Yes. Um, but this has four different styles of combat. So in this one, it has uh, just fists, so brawler style. You have a sword, so you can fight with your sword. You have a gun, so you can shoot people. And then you have, uh, I think it's Wind Dancer, where it's a combination sword and gun style, where you are kind of like whipping around like a windmill of death with your gun in one hand and your sword in another. And it's that super sounds fun like the play. style that I would like. <laughs> it, it, it's it's so fun to play. Um, so yeah, and you can switch between these styles on the fly, and when you get certain upgrades, you can learn how to switch between them uh, literally on the fly. So you can like punch a guy repeatedly in the middle of a combo and then switch over to your sword and keep the combo going with your sword and then switch again and like turn around and then shoot them. Um, it's great. And it's nice that different combat styles have different applications uh, based on what's happening. So for example, if you are far away from enemies and they are running towards you, you can whip out your gun and weaken them as they get closer because you can shoot them as they get closer. And then you can switch over to your sword to inflict some really heavy damage on them. And then if you want to, you can switch back over to your brawler style, for example, to give them a good tiger drop to finish them off when they try to hit you. So once you learn how to synergize the styles, it, it's super, super fun. Uh, the upgrade system is almost a combination of 
uh, later Yakuza games and uh, Yakuza Zero, where it's a grid-based system on circles. So in this game, you get orbs, and you can spend the orbs to upgrade your uh, abilities. And there are two kinds of orbs. There are uh, style-specific orbs, and there are general experience orbs that they call training orbs. Um, and you can spend training orbs in any of the in any of the four different uh, styles. So let's say you wanted to learn how to extend your combo in just the uh, in the brawler style. You can use a training orb on that, and you'll you'll get an extra you'll get an extra combo. And then if you get a a brawler orb you can take the brawler orb and replace the training orb and the training orb will go back to your pile. So then you can spend that training orb again in another, in another uh, style. So there's a lot of customization there uh, and it's an experience based system. So, you know, the more characters that you beat up, the more experience that you get. Um, I had a lot of fun with this combat system. I just loved it. I thought it was so much fun. I mean, I really like the uh, combat in um, Judgment and Lost Judgment. I-, I always thought that the combat in Zero was a little bit stiff, but I didn't get very far. But when you tell me there's four different combat styles and I get to hit things with a sword and a gun, I'm in. I'm done. Oh, yeah. And there's also the classic, uh, the masters that you can meet throughout the town, uh, and they will teach you new abilities and that you can unlock those new abilities. And then you can keep upgrading your, you can keep upgrading your styles beyond uh, the level cap eventually. Yeah, it, it, it's a lot of fun. I really had fun with the combat in this game. Uh, and I mean, there there are so many other things that are great about it. There's the classic sub-stories uh, where, you know, the usual absurdity. Uh, Ryoma has something very much in common with Kiryu, which is Ryoma cannot say no to any random idiot who walks up to him on the street with a problem, uh, which puts you into some ridiculous scenarios. Uh, and, you know, ridiculous things. Like at one point you fight a bear, why? Because there's a bear there. Right. That sounds Yakuza to me. <laughs> yep. It's a great sub story where you walk. There's a little, there's a little kid talking to his dad and his dad and he, the kid says to his dad, but I saw a bear. And the dad's like, you're lying. And <laughs> Ryoma walks up and says, wait a sec, you saw a bear. And the kid's like, yeah. And Ryoma's like, what does the bear look like? And he says, he looks like the guy standing behind you. And Ryoma <laughs> turns around and there's a bear standing there. And it does the classic comedy thing where it's like close up on the bear, close up on Ryoma. Close up on the bear, close up on Ryoma, close up on the bear, <laughs> reaction. And it's it's just stupid fun. Uh, you're going to laugh a lot at this game, just like you would from any other Yakuza game. Um, and a part of that is, of course, the acting. Um, unfortunately for many, not me, because I always play these games with the original Japanese uh, voiceovers, but for many people who prefer the English voiceovers that have appeared in the last uh, few Yakuza and Judgment games, this is sol- it, it's a solid Japanese uh sound it's a solid japanese voice acting um but it's extremely extremely well acted and all of your favorite actors are there in fact you have a lot of returning actors too uh who you haven't seen for many many games now like some characters not no spoilers but some some fan favorite characters from yakuza zero show up in new roles uh and it's just lovely to hear them and hear their performances um the only problem with the japanese voice acting is a problem i've had with japanese voice acting in all of them which is Eventually, I, my brain forgets that I can't speak Japanese, so I'll be like <laughs> playing the game, and I'll be in a cutscene, and I will be watching the cutscene and enjoying it, and then I'll be like, I'm going to get some tea, and then I stand up and start walking over to get some tea, and it will take like at least 15 <laughs> seconds of my brain listening to the Japanese before I'm like, I can't speak Japanese. What am I doing? That's pretty funny. <laughs> that's, yeah. That, that, that speaks well to the game, though, that it, like, it immerses you that much. Yeah, it does. Um I gave the game an 85 and now 
Yakuza is so weird for me because it, this is Yakuza and Like a Dragon is one of my all-time favorite game series. I adore these games. I have reviews for every single one of them on the site now, except for Lost Judgment. And I have a, a feature, so you want to get into Yakuza, I wrote with GC a few months ago, which I think might... Zach, at some point, is that going to be reposted? I mean, it will be. It's really up to Mike um, yeah. where it fits into the schedule. So yeah, it will be. Yeah. Uh, so if you're ever curious about where to get started in Yakuza, that's a, a good resource. Um, but I've never given them tremendously high scores. And this is a point in the favor of not necessarily of games that are in their 80s being awesome. I so disagree with the idea that a game needs to be a 90 or a high 90 to be a brilliant game. It doesn't at all. Games in their 80s, games that are scored in their 80s are often remarkably good. And sometimes they just, they can hit you in exactly the right spot and you just fall in love with them. And for me, that's the Yakuza Like a Dragon series. But I don't think that this game, I loved this game. I had such a great time with it. I ended up playing it for 80 hours. I could not, in good conscience, give this game a 90 or above because I didn't think it was a, that, I didn't think it was that amazing a game, but I thought it was a great game. Mm-hmm. So yeah, and I think this is going to be a good year for uh, Like a Dragon Yakuza fans. Uh, we have another game that's apparently coming out later this year, which is Like a Dragon Gaiden, the man who, uh, the man who forgot his name, I think. Yes. Um, yeah. And it's going to be fall. It's going to be a a midquel, uh, following up on what Kiryu was up to between Yakuza Six and Yakuza Like a Dragon, uh, and it's going to be like a shorter a shorter Yakuza game. And then you know there'll be other games coming out. Eventually, we're going to be getting uh, Like a Dragon Eight. And if this game is a success, and I, I I really hope it's a success, it's gotten some very good reviews from me and from other people. People really seem to enjoy it. Uh, we might get. Uh, Kazan, the other samurai game, which is completely unrelated to this because it takes place 300 years before this game ever takes place. The only different, you know, it, it features it features Kiryu's analog with a sword. That's the only real similarity. Um, so who knows? We might see a remake of that. And I would really like that to happen because the more Yakuza, the better, in my opinion. Yeah, I mean, I if you want more Yakuza, there's a, like, I feel like I, it's a good time to be a Yakuza fan or like a Dragon fan. Um, and, I, and I'm glad that it's catching on um, with people. Uh, even outside of the RPG sphere, right? Like, I feel like it's a, it's a series that does really well um, for a lot of different people because it does so many different things well. Um, and there's always so much content. Yeah, that's the thing about Yakuza for me. If you want if you want gameplay for your money, it's hard to beat a Yakuza game. Yeah, that's true. Um, and I, I think that it, it, it makes it an easy sell in a lot of ways. And it's not... Like, I always feel like the thing that overwhelms me about a Yakuza game is like, I, I go into it and I'm like, ah, there's so many things I can do. I have to do all of them. We don't have to, um, but there those options are available to you, um, and I think that it makes it uh, a game that appeals to lots of people. And I, th- I think they're great. Mm-hmm. Well, this game specifically, although it is a, it's I, they keep calling it a remake. I feel like it's midway between a remake and a remaster because of the upgraded graphics. Yeah, but also it kind of looks like the original, and most of the gameplay is the original. But they have switched around some sub stories and places of uh, items and and events, which means that. Uh, translated Japanese walkthroughs are not 100% accurate, which means puts me in the position of I, I wasn't able to actually complete all the substories because I couldn't find them all uh, in time. So I'm going to be going back to it in a little bit and hopefully finishing the game off. Uh, not 100%ing it because I can't play Mahjong, but at some point I will be going back and playing some more of it because there's still so much to do. Even though I've completed the critical path, there's still tons there. And even better, I, I I got some DLC for it too, so I can now dress up my character as Kiryu. 
so I can accuse you wandering the streets of nineteenth uh, century Japan, which just looks so with stupid. With the samurai sword, with the samurai sword, and they actually they thankfully did fab- uh, fabric physics for his jacket, so it's act- it's not just like clipping through his shirt. It's actually like it's actually like his jacket sitting on the uh, on the sheath. Looks pretty good, actually. <laughs> that sounds amazing, and it sounds like Yakuza. I like it. It's Yakuza. That's what it is. It's I mean, it's like a dragon. Uh, and I'm still not so sure about this rebranding. I know why they did it and it makes 100% sense and I'm completely in favor of it, but it really does make it tricky to talk about the series. Right. Yeah. I mean, you do it, what, seven, eight games deep. Yeah, eventually it gets a little tricky. <laughs> I, I oftentimes found myself just saying both Yakuza or Like a Dragon, Like a Dragon or Yakuza, if you prefer. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Anytime I'm talking about them. Yeah. Anyway, uh, if no one's played a Yakuza game out there and they like the... Uh, they like the setting and they've always wanted to try the game. I think this is a good place to get started because there's no baggage and it's going to give you a very, uh, it's going to give you a very pure Yakuza experience, like a, a very similar to Yakuza zero in that way. It's kind of like the baseline of the series and it really does show off what the series is good at and what it does. So yeah, I'm thrilled to death. They, uh, they uh, finally brought this game over and I hope they do it with some others as well. It sounds like the next Yakuza game I might play or like a dragon if you prefer. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. Uh, well, I, I support you. Uh, I thank you for listening to me ramble about uh, Like a Dragon for the last yeah, little while. And I very much appreciate you coming on to talk about Octopath Traveler 2, because that is a game that we're going to be talking about for the next few years, I think. It's just, it sounds like it's an amazing, amazing title. It is. Um, it, it's an evolution of Octopath 1 in basically every way. Um, I, I can't imagine anybody thinking Octopath 1 is better, mm-hmm. honestly. Um I don't say that often. <laughs> I just think this game is superior on all levels. No, I buy that. Um, well, if, if you would like to support uh, Zach and I and everyone else here at RPG Fan in our attempt to cover games like Octopath Traveler 2 and uh, Like a Dragon, uh, you can probably buy some stuff from our shop. So yeah, we have a shop. It's www.rpgfan.com shop. And there you can find all kinds of things. Apparently we've been going on like a a baby onesie bonanza lately where we've been selling yeah. a lot of these things. <laughs> I've heard we've, we've sold multiple. Yeah. So if you have they, a new baby. They don't baby, sell one in my size though. So it's very disappointing. No, it's very disappointing. And this is something that we really <laughs> need to bring up with Mike. Mike, we need adult onesies. The babies are getting all the onesies. Um, we do sell more things than onesies at the shop. Like, you know, the usual mugs and stickers and all kinds of things. So check out the shop. And uh, if you want to support us, that's a great way to do so. Uh, if you want to support us here at Random Encounter, my recommendation would be to go listen to some old episodes of Random. I've been hosting for about a year and a half now. Before that, uh, it was Greg and I, and before that, it was just Greg, and before that, it was a whole lot of other people. So if you have any favorite games that have come out in the last few years, there's a good chance that we talked about it at some point on Random, and if you want to hear what our thoughts were back then, go back and give it a listen. Uh, but we are not the only podcast here at RPG fan. We also have Retro Encounter, which is our weekly podcast where we talk about retro things with Mr. Mike Solosi. Uh, though the last two episodes wasn't Mike Solosi, the last two episodes were uh, me. Uh, so we were talking about Star Tropics, which is a game that I uh, played as a child. And uh, I was really, really glad that uh, Solosi gave me an opportunity to go back and play it again for the uh, for the podcast. So the first part was last week and it was focusing on Star Tropics, the first game. And coming out later this week on Thursday, I believe, we have the second episode, which is going to be focusing on Zoda's Revenge, Star Tropics 2. So give those a listen. I, I haven't listened to the first one yet. Is it still as painful as I remember? It's freaking hard. <laughs> it's so hard. But it's the first game is also so rewarding. I love Star Tropics 1. 
uh, because it has such a sense of style and it, it's it's a lot of fun despite the fact that it is very hard and very frustrating in places. Star Tropics Two is uh, I'm just enough. gonna I'm just gonna draw off there. Um, okay. But it was fun talking to uh, it was fun talking about it. So yeah, give those a listen. Uh, we also have Rhythm Encounter, which is RPG fans' music podcast. We just had our Xeno series episode where we talked about the uh, the music of the Xeno series, which isn't really a series. It's like a combination of different series of series of spiritual successors, meta series, if you will. A meta series, uh, really, really cool episode. And then, hey, if you haven't had enough of listening to uh, me ramble on about Yakuza like a dragon yet, you should listen to Rhythm Encounter next Monday because we are going to be talking about the music of Yakuza and Like a Dragon. And regardless of what your opinion of is of the series, I think we can all agree that Friday Night is a ridiculously awesome <laughs> song and meme, and it should be celebrated. And we will be celebrating it on this episode. Excellent. Yep. Uh, if you'd like to get in contact with us here at Random Encounter, you can fire us off a message at podcast at rpgfan.com. I would love to hear from you. If you have any ideas for future episodes or discussion questions that you want us to address, anything else you'd like to share, I'd just love to, I'd just love to get that email and uh, respond to you and maybe give you a shout out on the show. If you'd like to send me an email, you can do so at jlogan at rpgfan.com, or you can find me on Mastodon at johnologan at mastodon.social. Uh, Zach, where can we find you online? Uh, the best way is probably email, ZachW at RPGFan.com. I'm also on our Discord at ZachW. Awesome. Uh, if you enjoyed this podcast, please share it with your friends. You can help us get the word out there. You can rate us on iTunes or your other podcast player of choice. And you could also leave us a review. Uh, if you leave us a review, I would love to read them. Um, well, again, Zach, thank you so much for joining me this evening. I really appreciate it, especially because I know you're in the middle of a, a marking, uh, a marking marathon right now. Indeed I am. Teacher yes. life. <laughs> yes. So I appreciate you taking the time out to talk about these games. Uh, not to mention taking the time out to spend like 80 hours playing Octopath <laughs> Traveler 2 before Embargo. Oh, uh, you know, it was worth it. Yeah, I, it certainly sounds like it. And I wish to thank everyone out there listening. And remember, whatever you're playing, have fun.